Tools for Living, Room to Grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, Episode 70. Well, you guys, we are living in a wild time. Man, it seems like everything that can be shaken is being shaken. And if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus, well, it's easy to fall into despair or give way to fear. In today's episode, best-selling author and speaker Sheila Walsh shares some lessons that she's been learning during this difficult time. This is really a powerful interview, and so I hope you'll share it with a friend. I've been so looking forward to talking with Sheila Walsh. Sheila is the author of more than 30 books that have sold nearly 6 million copies. That's right. And yet, Sheila, uh, uh, as I've read your books and just sat under your ministry, there was a moment in your life where you didn't think any of this would take place. Can you tell us about that? Oh, gosh, absolutely. I, <laughs> I remember very clearly a night in 1992 when my kind of very carefully put together world came falling apart. I had gone to seminary in London to train to be a missionary. God redirected my steps and I actually ended up um, working with the 700 Club, being co-host with Pat Robertson. And so much of my life, Joanna, had been based on wanting to make sure that nothing I ever did would make the father change his love toward me. Mm -hmm. But I kind of fell apart one day on national television. And by that evening, I was in the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital. And as far as I could understand, um, my usefulness, my worthiness, everything was completely gone. And I felt as if I had reached the end of my road. Mm. Wow. Wow. I, I, you know, I love that you have shared this story so honestly throughout the years. And yet in your new book, Holding On When You Want to Let Go, Clinging to Hope When Life is Falling Apart, you give us another glimpse at that because that wasn't just the start of a new ministry and a new things that God did in you, but, but it's also been part of your story even today. Can you tell us what led you to write this book? Yeah, it's interesting because I actually had started writing a different book. I wanted to write a book on miracles. You know, what are miracles? What does scripture have to say about miracles? Are there miracles that we don't recognize as such because we're looking in the wrong direction? Um, but then COVID hit <laughs> and I found myself, everything had changed in everybody's world. All my events, I had like 30 speaking events that were canceled or moved further down the line. And I found myself beginning to spiral again at a depth that concerned me because even though I was diagnosed with severe clinical depression and I, I take my medication faithfully, you know, I, I know how to pay attention to my life, but, but this was something new. I found myself spiraling at a depth I hadn't in a long, long time. And so it just became the cry of my heart to the Holy Spirit. How do I live in days like these? I know how to live when life was what we understood to be normal, but I don't know how to live in these days. And and it really, I, I read the couple of chapters that I had written on this supposed book on miracles, and they didn't help me at all. Hmm. And I thought, if they're not helping me, how could I ever imagine they would help anyone else? And so I did what every author dreads to do. I hit the delete button and sat, sat there with 
a, you know, a blank computer screen page and just really ask the Holy Spirit, how do I walk through this? How do you hold on when you feel like you're at the end of your rope? How do you feel on when you just want to let go, when everything in life seems overwhelming? I thought, if, if I can't understand that, if, you know, if, if I can't receive that in my own life, then how can I ever pass that on to anyone else? Hmm. You know, I think all of us have been touched by by COVID, uh, just the our world's being turned upside down. But it occurs to me that, you know, this message is needed for so many of us at at all times in our lives. I think of my friend whose marriage is ending uh, through mm. some choice of her own. I think of another friend who's walking through a diagnosis and she's been crying out to God for a miracle and yet for whatever reason, he has not yet answered. You talk about those times when it feels like, you know, we're, we're putting our lives together and it feels so great, but then we discover, kind of like when we're putting together a jigsaw puzzle, that pieces are missing. And I love that analogy that you just kind of pull through the book, because I think that's probably more common to all of us than those moments when everything is together. I think that's absolutely true, Joanna. I think that we all have these little missing pieces. And I think that's when we confront what seems to be the silence of God, mm. where we wonder, you know, where are you? In fact, I included in, in the book a, a quote from Chuck Swindoll that I personally found really helpful. He said, the silence of God's voice will make you wonder if he is even there. And the absence of God's presence will make you wonder if he even cares. He is and he does. And it's one of the interesting parts of this journey for me is taking what I believe to be true. You know, I believe that God is good. I believe God is faithful. There are so many promises in the word of God, and I believe those promises. I didn't really know how at times to access the weight of those promises mm. in my own life. And so that has been a real study for me, even rediscovering the beauty of of the Psalms, realizing that, whereas I think it was Athanasius said that most of Scripture speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. They give us a language in times where we, we don't have words. They give us a language of lament, of question, of grief, of joy. Um, and so I began during COVID, the, prax the practice of going outside onto our little balcony. We live in a townhome and reading three Psalms out loud every day because I discovered it was so good for my ears to hear what my eyes were reading and declaring what I believed to be true, no matter how I felt at any given moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, 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 I think it's so funny how, um, how I just assume that God's timetable is like my own, you know, yes. <laughs> that when I ask and he answers, which scripture clearly tells us that he does. And my life experience looking back is completely true, but it's in that difficult middle, that silent middle. Can I hold on and really believe that he is who he says he is? What did you discover in the Psalms? What did that do for you? I found something really interesting. Right in the middle of the Psalms, I believe it's Psalm 88, there's a Psalm that has no resolution that would bring comfort. Because so many Psalms, David would talk about the fact that, you know, I'm why you downcast all my soul. But then there would be this lifting of his head where he would say, mm -hmm. I will again praise the Lord. But there's this one Psalm right in the middle where there is no 
uptick. There's no happy resolution. There's simply this ongoing question of where are you? And that's why I found a fresh study of the book of Job to be really helpful for me and a fresh look at passages of scripture that I've known all my life. I mean, even take one of the most familiar verses, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, you know, and I mean, I've preached on that verse before where it talks about, and we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. And I, I've told people, okay, things don't always feel good. Clearly things don't, things in themselves are not always good. Um, you can look at hurricanes and disasters. That's clearly not good, but God has promised to bring good from it. But the more I began to study into that verse, I saw it in a different light. I saw it in, okay, if I'm believing this to be true, then how do I act in accordance with that? Mm. I saw it more as a declaration of faith. I was reading a commentary by Warren Wearsby, and he said, we live by faith and not by explanations. And so when I thought of my whole life, you know, putting it into the, under the umbrella of that one scripture, and I think about my father's suicide when I was a child, his outbursts of, of anger and violence toward me, the shame that that left me with, when I thought of the loneliness of many, many years where I was a public figure, but desperately, desperately lonely, and, and then my ultimate hospitalization, I thought, okay, that means if I believe that scripture, then I bring every single piece, all the broken pieces of my life to the foot of the cross and almost, almost worship there, not needing to, not understanding why, but knowing and believing if God has said that from all of this, no matter what it is that any of your faithful audience listing have been through, if God himself, who cannot lie, has said he will bring good from everything, then I bring everything all the missing pieces, all the broken pieces to him in faith, believing that to be true. Oh, I love that. You know, I'm coming to believe that that's really the highest form of worship. You know, um, I can tell God all the wonderful things he is, but when I declare that it is who he is in the middle of not seeing his faithfulness, in the middle of not necessarily being able to comprehend his love, if I can still declare you know, like Job, yet he slay me, I will trust him. And and this is kind of what I feel you're saying. It's it's holding on to God uh, rather than necessarily, at least for me, I, I'm trying to learn how to hold on to God rather than an outcome, because I think my outcome-based faith gets disappointed. But if it's put in the Lord, then, you know, things don't necessarily have to go my way. I, I was thinking of that verse where it says, I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. But Psalm I've got to be. 27. Love yes, that. <laughs> yes. But I've got to be willing to let God define good. You know, yes. otherwise, uh, if, if I'm believing in the good that I have prescribed, then am I really going to see the goodness of the Lord? What have you seen in all of, you know, this story that was definitely, I'm sure not the script that you had written as a, a young woman wanting to serve God. What is the beauty and the good that you've seen God bring out of those times of questions and suffering? I think one of the things I've come to understand in a fresh way and at a fresh depth is that God is still writing 
our stories. Mm. You know, so often we think, well, this is not how things are supposed to be, but God hasn't finished writing our story yet. And even when I was studying the book of Job, and you know, there's so many things that I've taken from that before, you know, that Job was such a righteous man, and yet, you know, God allowed the enemy to attack him. And then you have the friends who come and counsel him, who really are no help at all. And and then the, Job doesn't get an answer to any of his questions. He gets something that I consider to be better, that God pulls the curtain back a little mm. bit and he gets the presence of God. But as I was reading through the last chapter in Job, where it talks about his wealth being restored, his, you know, he has 10 more children after losing 10 children. And I thought the ending is not the same for everybody. You know, I, I'm thinking of somebody who's listening in right now and perhaps has lost a child and your ending might be different than what you wanted or a marriage has ended that you didn't want to end. And so I think what I got from the last chapter of Job was this, um, God writes the last chapter. Now, how he writes in each of our lives is going to be different. For Job, it was these particular set of circumstances. For you, Joanna, it will be something different. Um, for me, it's something different. But the, the great assurance is that God is the one who's writing the last chapter. And that's why we hold on to him and not, as you say, to a particular outcome. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about the fact that holding on and letting go sometimes goes hand in hand. And I have to say that really resonates with me. I'm actually working on writing a book on trusting God and the art of letting go and holding on to a forever faithful God. What does that mean to you, this whole idea of letting go so that we can hold on? I love that. That's a, that's a great title. I will look forward to reading that whenever you're finished. Um, well, for me, it comes almost, initially it began for me in Psalm 46, verse 10, where we have that, um, that, that beautiful verse that many of us learned as children, be still and know that I am God. And so when I was a teenager and very enthusiastic and fervent in my faith, I, I didn't quite understand what that meant. I mean, does it mean I just sit around and have to be quiet and I'll have this fresh understanding of God? But when you dig in to the original language, to the Hebrew, what that means, it means let go. Be still there means let go. Let go and know that I am God. Let go of what you're trying to control and hold on to the one who has never lost control. Because I, I know that particularly as women, you know, when there's anything going on and affects our family, or our friends or anything, you know, we want to try and fix things. And there's times when you can't. But I think that's when, for me, I've never had more confidence in my life that no matter what social media says, no matter what the news says, God is still on the throne. God mm. is in control. And I have never been in control. It's like the worst of the of news and the best of news in the same sentence. You're not in control, but God who loves you is in control. It's just this beautiful contrast with God. Like there is nobody on this earth who knows us as well as God does, which means he knows the things we're proud of and the things we're ashamed of. He knows what we consider our strengths and what we consider our greatest weaknesses. He knows the things we've never told another soul. All the dark corners of our life, God knows. And yet he loves us more than anybody else ever will. I mean, it's just this beautiful reassurance that when we do let go, we are being held by the God yes. who will never let us go. Amen, amen. 
I know for myself, I think I had to come to the end of myself to actually discover that kind of love because otherwise it was all about what I could do for Jesus and and how I could perform. And I think that's why I love the message of your book is that it was it was at your most broken that you that Jesus was able to make you whole and is making you whole. You know, I think of that woman who's just so afraid to let go. I mean, because there is this conundrum, you know, we've been given responsibility. There are things that only we can do. But what does that look like in those situations where God is just saying, okay, I, I'm still calling you to love your husband, but you've got to let go of trying to control him. How how do we walk that in, in whatever situation that might be? How do we walk that paradox of, of letting go and yet still holding on and being involved in our lives and the life that God's given us? Yeah, and I think that's something that the more we learn that God is trustworthy, the easier that is. I don't think you're going to relinquish control to someone that you're not absolutely convinced is good, is faithful, is for you. And for me, it's been a, it's really been a lifelong journey, Joanna, to understand that I'm not being asked to let go to some random God or a God who judges us. I mean, I, I'm kind of keeping myself in Romans chapter eight at the moment, just because it's just probably one of the most liberating chapters in, in all of God's word. So we know from the very beginning that there is no condemnation. Yeah. And then we move all the way to the end and we, and we know that there's no separation. And the thing I love about that is it was through the journey that Paul was able to write that in his letter to the church in Rome. Because when he says um, in verse, I think it's Romans 8, 38, when he says, I am convinced, that's in the present perfect tense. And so can be translated as, I was convinced and I remain convinced. Mm. Now, as you'll remember, when he comes to Christ, and we read about that in Acts chapter 6, it's such a dramatic conversion. I mean, when you are confronted by the risen Christ and, and told, I am, I am Christ, the one you're, the one you're persecuting, I mean, that journey for Paul I would have written that evening, I am convinced that nothing can separate me from this love. But when he writes to the church in Rome, it's almost 20 years later. And by that point, he has been, he has been beaten. He's been stoned and left for dead outside the city. He's been imprisoned. He's been starved. He's been shipwrecked. His life, he has gone through everything that you could go through. And that's the brother who writes to us and says, I was convinced and I remain convinced. I think the more, the longer we walk with the Lord, yes. and the more that we, it's not a quick fix. It's a, it's a journey. And, the, you know, it's like, I would just encourage anyone right now, if there's an area where you're struggling, just take a little step. You know, you don't have to become like Wonder Woman for Jesus overnight. I mean, None of us will ever become that. We're all still human and frayed and faulty. But God is the God of the messer upper. Even when we've messed up, God is the God of the messer upper. And when we can learn to just take little steps, not toward an outcome, but little steps toward Him, we will discover how secure we really are. Mm, 
sounds so beautiful. So beautiful, you know, for for someone who has spent her whole life waiting to arrive, you know, and <laughs> thinking that it was going to be a magic wand and oh, suddenly I would just be perfectly holy and wonderful in every way. And instead, God has taken the long way around. And I used to resent that. But like you, I'm going, I'm coming to realize, oh my goodness, what a gift to learn to trust Him, you know, to to become more like Him rather than just instantly arrive because it's in that journey that we have fellowship. And it's in that journey that we can say with Paul, I was convinced and now I'm even more convinced. And But it's come through the messy middle. It's come through walking in dark times and not always seeing, you know, the answer or even possibly experiencing the answer. And you talk about a woman in the book who, who kind of stuck around after you spoke on Romans 8 and and just kind of presented her situation. And basically it was, if God loves me, then why? And yeah. I think there's a lot of Christians out there that have just kind of settled for, okay, we'll just kind of have a nominal relationship and I'll wait till heaven because I don't think there's any hope or any peace or any joy here on earth. How do we answer that conundrum of what God says and what we're experiencing in our lives? I think it's one of the greatest challenges to a real, authentic, deep faith, believing that God is both sovereign so he could intervene in any situation and loving so we would assume he would want to. And when we go through a situation where the outcome is very different than what we prayed for, it's hard to hold those two things together because we think, well, did I do something wrong? Did I pray wrong? Should I have done something differently? I think, I think we need to encourage asking questions more in our faith, even when we're young. I think we're kind of told, you know, here, here's, here's the rules. You know, here's what we believe. And it's important to know what we believe. But one of the things that's been a joy in raising our son is encouraging him to ask God the difficult questions. Yeah. You know, I remember when he was probably about five years old and our, my father-in-law was living with us and Barry, my husband, was in Florida at that time. And so Christian and I were the only two home on the night that my father-in-law died. And we were able to get him in an ambulance and off to the hospital and they'd been able to bring him back. And yet when we got to the hospital, they said, I'm, I'm really sorry, but, you know, William has passed. And I watched in the first few days and weeks, I watched what I expected would be the outcome, um, the response from my son. You know, he was very sad, cried a lot. But then one day I noticed something different. We had adopted a cat from the shelter and he loved this cat, but he pushed her off the sofa. And I said, Christian, let's go for a walk. And we went for a long walk. And then I said to him, Christian, are you angry? And he said, yes, I'm angry. And I said, okay, tell me why. He said, mom, you told me that God answers prayer. And when we were driving behind the ambulance, I prayed and said, God, please don't take my papa. And he did. So I don't like God anymore and I'm not going to talk to him. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? God totally understands that. And I drove him to a sports store and I bought him a punching bag and boxing gloves. And I said, babe, when you're angry or confused, you hit that punching bag till you're exhausted but then know that you can collapse into the arms of a God who's big enough to receive your questions and to love you. Paul, I mean, Paul made it clearly, as long as we are on this side of the mirror, we will see dimly. 
that we don't understand everything. And one day, one day we will. But I think that's why it's called a a journey of faith rather than a a journey of crystal clear understanding. Sometimes we just have to decide, okay, is God worthy or not? You know, will I worship him in the dark when I don't yet see the dawn break? And I think that that's the kind of depth of faith that God is calling us to in these days that we're living in, where the world is so strange and unfamiliar and people are so angry. Will we find our shelter in the God who is big enough to receive us as we are, not as we wish we were? Amen. Amen. You know, you bring up the current situation and and it is just interesting to watch the different responses to it all uh, among Christians. You know, I, I think there's a lot of anger. Uh, there's a lot of fear. Um, how, you know, I just keep thinking, Lord, uh, help me respond biblically to this because I feel like it is, you know, whether this is the last days that Jesus spoke of, it's certainly my last days, you know? <laughs> so how do I live in faith believing that isn't isn't dependent on the blessings? And we've been surrounded by a lot of blessings. So how how do you how are you navigating this difficult time and and with so many it's, it feels like trust is at an un, all-time low and some te- sometimes even our trust within god yeah i think that's that's very true but there's never been a greater opportunity for us to be light in a dark a dark dark place and salt in, in a in a place that's lost its lost its flavor. I mean, I I do see both. I see Christians being very angry and very polarized, whereas Christ said, you know, they will know that you are mine by the way that you love one another. And I think it's fine to, to disagree, whether it's on masks or vaccinations or anything else, but ultimately the greater calling is, is to love. And so my kind of prayer at the moment and has been, you know, for the last couple of years is, Lord, give me eyes to see what I'm going to miss today and give me ears to hear behind what people are saying to what might actually be going on in their life. Because if, if you and I who, who love and follow Christ are filled with the Holy Spirit, then every time we walk into a room, the atmosphere should change because of who lives in us. And I think that these are the days not to copy the ways and the thinking of the world, but that, but the days to show what faith in Christ looks like. I mean, I love what I think it's first Peter chapter six, where he talks about always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you, which means to me that we should be living a life that is raising questions. So Mm. when other people appear to be losing hope and we are living differently, that people would want to know, well, what is it you know that I don't know? Why, Why are you not angry? Why are you not frustrated? It's just, I think it's just a time to realize that we are on mission 24 seven. And, and that is to bring the light and love of Christ wherever we go. Amen, amen. Oh, I love how you put that. And, and that means we're going to have to get our eyes off of the peripheral. <laughs> you know, yes, we're going to have to get them on Jesus and, and never, you know, I just think, Lord, if if I get my eyes on the wind and the waves, then then I have every reason to fear. But even in those times where maybe we can't see him, we've talked about that. You know, I think of when it says uh, that Moses, as he was standing at the foot of Sinai speaking to the people, it says he went back into the darkness where God was. 
You know, mm. can I see him? Can I, can I get my eyes on him to the point where even when I can't see him, I head in his direction, you know, that I, I, I take what he's already said and I live from that truth rather than demanding to have, uh, you know, all of the details for right here and right now. So, oh, I love that. And I think that's the thing I, I so appreciate about your books is that you always, always point us to Jesus. How do we, for those who are out there who maybe are new to the faith or or maybe they've been raised in the church, but honestly, they just feel kind of like they're, they're just kind of babies when it comes to scripture and they know that they need to live by the principles of God's word, but they can't, they just can't quite get past all of the trouble and everything they see to get back to truth. Where do we begin? What would you suggest? Yeah, I think that's very true. And I think it's it's almost like we need to re-wallpaper our minds because mm-hmm. there's so many messages. When I I had a recent thing while I was writing the book, my husband and I were doing a FaceTime call with with our son. And Barry made some comment about the fact that Christian had a baseball cap on and he's in grad school and he's going to be doing some of his classes on Zoom. And Barry was basically saying, hey, you might want to smarten up your image a little bit, bud, because, you know, you're going into a serious career. And Christian was like, well, dad, it's not really like that anymore. I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to be somebody who's just myself and real. And I mean, they were having a normal discussion, but it triggered something in me. And I, my response was way out of proportion. I mean, I remember saying, turn it to Barry and saying, why are you always like that? Why are you so negative? Why are you so critical? And it shut the conversation down. I mean, my son said something about needing to get back to homework. And, and then, and my husband said, do you want to talk? And I said, no. And so he went upstairs and, and I fell to my knees um, because when I have discovered in my own life, when my response to a situation is out of proportion, there's history yes. attached. Mm. And, and I'm also discovering the joy of unpacking an old fashioned word. And that is repentance. You know, to me, the more I study repentance, it has got zero to do with emotion. It's not an emotion. It's an action. I can say I'm sorry till I'm blue in the face if I don't change the way I act. And I never feel more human than when I repent. And as I began to ask the Holy Spirit that day, what is it that keeps tripping me up? And it was like going all the way back down to the kind of foundation stone in my soul, which was this deeply held belief, there's something wrong with me. Hmm. So when I heard some criticism that was not even aimed at me, I internalized it. That I, I just, I would say to anybody who is struggling in their faith, ask the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's, scripture tells us if any of you lacks wisdom, if you're not sure where to go on this journey, if you don't quite understand, ask, and the Father will be glad to, to show us. But find out what those false beliefs are. You know, you'll never change. You'll never be any better. You'll never, all those things, and then replace them purposefully with the truth of the word of God. And if you have to copy out two or three verses on a three by five card and put them where you see them every single day, and every time that that lie or this, I can't, or you're not, or you'll never replace it with the truth of God's word. That, that verse you quoted from Psalm 27, I believe I will live to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That scripture kept me alive when I was in the psych hospital, mm. when the enemy would come at night and say, you're just like your dad. You're the same age as he was when he committed suicide in a psych hospital. You'll never make it out of here. I would literally drag myself out of bed, plant my feet as firmly as I could in my little hospital room and say out loud, I believe 
I will live to see the goodness of the Lord mm-hmm. in the land of the living. Soak yourself in the word of God. Let waves of hope wash over you where there's been despair. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful. You know, it occurs to me we are living in a blessed time where you can uh you can you can just type some things into Google and like verses on hope or verses yes. on fear and there it is. <laughs> so for those of us who are looking for some scripture to cling to, I just want to encourage you to just dive in. I think sometimes we get overwhelmed by just holding the Bible in our hands and we say, I'm told that all the answers are in here, but I don't know where to start. And either that or go to the back to the concordance or look up in a concordance online and just to be- begin to read through those verses. And when something just lifts off the page, I remember um, I gave birth to my first son and he had a congenital his- hip dysplasia. Hmm. And I remember the Lord, it was so, so sweet of him someone had given me a clock for my hospital room and it had the verse, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. And I, I just began to read that over and over. Lord, I give him to you. Lord, I thank you. And then, and then the Lord led me to another verse. And I think you, you nail it. Let's ask God for wisdom and then let's be open. <laughs> let's, let's be kind of having our antennas up listening for when he brings that truth that we need. And I think another great app is to download the, the Bible app, version. I mean, there's so many daily things you can do there that are all sorts of different levels. If you're, I mean, there's so, you're so right, Joanna. There's so many resources available to help us grow. So just, I, I just say, be careful what you're allowing to wash over you. You know, it's, it's fine to watch a little bit of the news and catch up on what's happening, but don't let that be the thing that gets the first word in your day. Allow the hope of God to be the thing that that kind of sets your compass for where you're going. Amen. One of the things I love to do is that um, on Facebook, my Facebook is Sheila Walsh Connects. And what I'll often do is I'll jump on and we just kind of become a community kind of and pray for one another. Mm. And I'll usually share some scripture. I'll do like a Facebook live, share some scripture. Um, but also if people go to my website, I have all sorts of little video clips and things that are, that are free that people can, can sign up for, um, download, just things that I pray would be an encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we really are living in a time where, where we can be rich in God's word. We can literally dwell and allow his dwell in the word of God and allow his word to dwell in us. But it does, it does take stepping out of the despair or the hopelessness or even the depression. And from experience, that can be hard to get from where I am to where I need to be. How did you do that? I love that you just kind of showed us practically, you just had to stand up and say it. But, but what about that girl who just feels frozen by just the pain? I, I totally get that. I mean, I think that we've all experienced those moments. And and if you are there right now, please do not allow, allow the enemy to shame you. I mean, Christ welcomes us in our brokenness. But it's one of the reasons that I read these three Psalms out loud. Dr. David Jeremiah, who's a dear friend of mine, sent me this lovely little leather book, and it's got all the Psalms. You know, it sets it up so that you do three psalms and a proverb every day. And honestly, some days I really feel like doing it, and I, I I can't wait to start. Other days I don't feel like doing it at 
all. And but I'll just, I choose, I've made a decision. I choose to do it. And sometimes through the first Psalm, I'm thinking, well, that was no help at all. And I get to Psalm number two, but there's something about the word of God is alive. It's yeah. not words on a page. It, it's alive. And, and somehow when we declare that, I always find no matter whether it takes me five minutes to get there or 10 seconds to get there, that when you're reading the truth of the word of God out loud so your ears can hear it and your neighbors, no idea what my neighbors think of me, it's just, <laughs> it just does your spirit good. It lifts your spirit. Oh, so good. So good. I, I love the statement that you say several times through the book. Hold on to Jesus with everything that's in you. And on the days when you feel yourself slipping, remember you are being held. I really do think that a lot of our despair, a lot of our fear is linked to this unconscious or or maybe fully conscious belief that Jesus loves everyone else, but I'm not sure he loves me. How did you get God's love or how did God get his love? from your head to your heart? Well, honestly, it really took a kind of deconstruction of everything that I had built my own faith puzzle on. I mean, as a, as a child, I gave my life to Christ when I was 11. And I remember thinking that I had lost the love of my earthly father, who once really loved me. And so it must be possible to lose the love of a heavenly father. Mm. So I never thought it was a done deal. I always thought it was based on my behavior. I have to keep getting everything right, doing everything right, you know, not messing up. And it, honestly, it, it took me until everything in my life fell apart. And I did end up in a psychiatric hospital where I had nothing left to tidy myself up with. I mean, they even take your makeup and your hair dried away. I mean, I was just raw and vulnerable. And I remember, remember um, that first night, I prayed so many you know, great faith-filled prayers over the years. But that first night, the only two words that I could get out were literally just, help me, help mm. me. And I discovered what David discovered at one of the lowest points in his life when he had pretended to be insane because um, Saul's trying to kill him. He's lied and it's cost the life of a priest and all the other priests. I mean, he's, he's at the bottom of his life experience. And yet he's the one who writes in a cave, um, those two who look to you for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will touch their faces. Mm. And he follows it up by saying in Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I discovered at my, what I consider my least lovable, that I was the most loved I'd ever understood. Wow. Well, there's just so much that we could talk about, Sheila, but I, I just feel like we need to end at that place today because until we let go of our fear, <laughs> let go of our unworthiness, we're not going to learn how to be held or, or we'll be held, but we won't feel it. And so I would just love to have you pray over us as we close. Of course. Father, you are such a gracious father. You are a good father. You are a loving father. You are kind to your children. You are merciful. And I pray, Lord, right now for, for everyone who is listening in. Lord, you know each one of us so well. You know the things that that we favor and you know the things that we hide and yet you love us completely. And I ask right now for anyone who is listening, who is not completely sure that you do love them, 
that you would reveal in the way that only you can how much you love them, okay. how much you care for every single detail of their life. Father, teach us how to cast all our cares on mm. you because you've said you care for us. Yes. You've, you've invited us to do that. You've invited us to bring our burden and our load and, and that you will walk out this journey with us. So I, I ask, Lord, I pray that you would bless Joanna. I bless this podcast. She reaches out to bring hope and healing to so many. Lord, help us in these days to be light bearers. Yes. Help us to be those that whose lives raise questions because there's something that we understand that's different than what people are hearing on the news. Help us to be communicators of the truth and beauty of Jesus Christ. And I ask it in his wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Ah, oh, thank you so much, Sheila. You've been a blessing to us today. Thank you, Joanna. I hope you were as encouraged by Sheila's conversation as I was. I so appreciate her willingness to share her honest journey with Jesus as she's navigated depression and is still navigating the ups and downs of life. You can find links to all of Sheila's resources over at my website, as well as some other episodes from the Living Room Podcast that I believe will really encourage you. Hey, did you know that if you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify or any of the other platforms, new episodes will show up in your feed automatically, absolutely free. So if you haven't already subscribed, I hope you'll do it today. And if you take time to leave a rating or a review, that would really be a blessing as well. Until next time, my friend, just keep holding on to Jesus because he's already holding on to you. And as we just stay in his embrace, he's going to help us live and love and lead like him because that's the kind of savior we have. God bless you.